Pithy Brevity is, not- is the father or mother or whatever of wit. Something. What is it? Yeah, How does that say? How does I that go? I think it's the third cousin of wit or something. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the let's. Godfather of wit. Hi, and welcome to Gen X Temporaneous. This is a podcast where I come up with an idea, I do some research, I grab a bottle of wine, I bring everything to Mark, and he pontificates. Today, we are discussing adaptations of novels into films and television shows. We will be talking about how difficult it is, how we think they should be judged, why adaptations are often worse than the books, and which ones we think are great, in some cases much better than the book, and not so great. We want to thank you all for coming to listen to us each week, and if you do like us, Please share us with a friend. Hi, Mark Snedeker. Hello, Christina LaRusso. Noted mm. author, Christina LaRusso. Noted author? Yeah. Of what? You have a book in the works? Oh, well, I'm not noted yet. Well, I've I thought noted you, meant, you. I thought you meant my dissertation. Well, I didn't read that shit. That was boring as fuck. What? Mark, <laughs> that's not nice. You don't oh, even know what it's about. Uh, history? <sighs> I mean, am I right or am I right? Yes. Thank you. Mark, can we have a hot take on adapting the written word into either a TV series or film? The hot take is it's hard. Books are slower, developing, longer form, allow for internal monologue and dialogue type things. Books and movies are, it's just a different form of art, right? It's like, you know, is the translation from real life to a painting an exact one-to-one uh, replica? No, of course not, because that's boring, right? And it's it really impossible when it comes to books and, and movies. Uh, I guess what I'm saying is that it's really almost always a reinterpretation, and they will always have significant departures. Yeah, I, I wonder if it depends on how invested in the book and the characters in the book you are. That's part of it, but I'm going to argue that those people are wrongheaded mm-hmm. and should probably be shunned by the community. <laughs> but, well, of course, it depends somewhat on the scope of the book, right? Mm. Like if you're trying to interpret a vast, sweeping, epic novel into an hour and a half film, that's pretty difficult. Right. But also, if you're trying to translate you know, a very, very short book into a TV series... Also problematic. A lot of it, I think, comes down to really time management. Um, you just can't show the the depth and detail in a movie that you can in a book. Now, you can still represent it and make a good movie out of it. And we'll talk about some of those that have successfully done that and some which were less so. But people just get disappointed when the movie doesn't look exactly like they imagined the book was. And you just can't do that. First of all, you can't, the author has no control over your imagination. So you may have envisioned this character as a, you know, a short brunette Mm -hmm. and the movie does a tall blonde, Mm -hmm. you know, still could be a good movie, but if you're hung up on details like that, you're not going to enjoy it. Yeah. And I I think we'll get there in a little bit more depth in a a minute. I think you're down, you're on to something when you're talking about time management and understanding. So now one of the things that I think has helped is that television has become a far more sophisticated film medium. 100% agree. And what ends up happening is 
a longer treatment of a story that is a novel length story is necessarily going to fare better if you give it a longer treatment on screen. Right. Now, it is possible that the book you're basing it on maybe isn't really deep enough to provide that level of no, of, but of content. Often what they cut when they cut for when they edit for length for film is they cut some of the side plots that sure. are maybe not as super integral. Like you can still tell the story and take those side plots away. Right. But those subplots are often very interesting and fun. And I think that that is where I think some people will get invested in those characters or those subplots and they miss that if they don't see it or if the, if in some way it's truncated. So for me, if there is a chance to adapt it and you adapt it for miniseries, we've been seeing tons of that with the streaming services. Yeah. I think that's probably the better way to go. So we actually examined that a while back when we talked about the Thornbirds. Yes. Right? You know, now you have Netflix binging. Back then, you had a miniseries. And for like a week and a half, all your nights were spoken for. Because you got to see what Richard Chamberlain is getting up to in the <laughs> next episode. I know, I know. What kind of creepy bullshit he's going to mm-hmm. pull on uh, Jilly, right? That Who? was... I'm not Jilly. What, what the fuck is her name? Maggie. Maggie. Jilly Maggie. <laughs> Jilly. I was like, Sally. What? I'm like, at, at first I'm agreeable. And then I'm like, wait, who is he talking about, yeah. Jilly? Do you really even need to have the names accurate? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's part of the interpretive po- process. <sighs> like the late 70s, early 80s was the golden age of the miniseries. And mm-hmm. they would take these vast, sweeping novels, mm-hmm. you know, the Thornbirds or some Michener Hawaii or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then they would take those and make a miniseries out of them because, of course, a movie, I mean, the Thornbirds movie would be pretty, you know, you'd you miss out a lot of, on a lot of stuff. Well, you'd have to because of, of time. Right. It's exactly such right. a long, and, and they did adapt Hawaii, a Michener book, into yeah. a movie. Yeah. And How, gave it an intermission, but it was, it just didn't tell all of the stories. Right. It couldn't possibly. And so yeah. it. I don't like Hawaii as much as I like, for instance, Centennial, another, yeah. another Michener book and I loved that that miniseries. And I think one of the first times that I saw this really employed effectively is with Pride and Prejudice. Now I know that you're not a huge fan of that kind of literature. I understand what a salad fork is. <laughs> I just don't care about it. <laughs> All right, that's not what those are about, but anyway. <laughs> they mostly are. But anyway, the 19 I think it was like 1992 version with Colin Firth yeah. and and um Jennifer LA is my favorite because yeah. it spanned multiple weeks it was a, an episode yeah. a week it was just luxuriously done and you could really enjoy all of the very long dance mm-hmm. sequences and God knows the, I did yes <laughs> so I really loved that if if I'm thinking back to it Absent the miniseries of the 1970s and 80s, Pride and Prejudice for me is the first time that a book is into a miniseries is is given really the right the right treatment. But then subsequently, there have been other things, and really, like I said, in the last several years, we've seen short form series of novels or novellas that are put on for us to binge on streaming services in particular and they're they're terrific i love those i think that you can do i think again i think it's easier to do that adaptation for long form and i think that most of the places where we see the adaptation fail is in a short form film like a two-hour film i think that is super challenging and in a way i kind of appreciate the films more because it's not easy to take a novel 
and condense it down to a film. You know, I admire anybody who can do that because then you really have a producer, you know, whatever, director who knows how to tell a story. And I, w- I imagine, I don't know that this is true because I know that in some cases, authors actually do adapt their own mm-hmm. work for screenplay. Sure. sure. But I think it would be very difficult as an author Man. to have the distance to cut out all of the you things got because to be you have to be ruthless with your own work. Absolutely. And it is hard to have that kind of objectivity. As an as a an author, I can tell you that it is very difficult for me to cut any of my cherished lines from anything that I've ever written. Well, remember that when we had Susan on, yes. she said that one of the skills that she had to develop was to really become ruthless with herself and then also employ someone for editing, yeah. somebody who could really give you give her an unvarnished opinion. Like I would have to bring someone in who really kind of dislikes me. Because <laughs> everybody else can be like, oh, Mark, that's so great. I mean, High five. would they? Yeah, I feel like you would you just, don't, you, don't... you would really cheerlead more than you would edit me. Really? No. Because <laughs> you edit me all the time <laughs> I on know this I do. fucking show. See? What's wrong with you? But I make you better. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so basically you're saying by subtracting things I say, I become better. Yeah, well, because it's pithy. All right, so let's move on then to what are things that can make adaptations worse than the book? And you kind of touched on a couple of the things, but I want to dig a little bit deeper into that. First of all, I think that it limits your ability to imagine. When you're reading a book, you imagine what the scenery looks like, you imagine what the room looks like, sure, and then that's taken out of your hands. And it can be, I think, jarring. Jarring. I'll tell you, I'll give you an example. Please. Gone with the Wind. You read the fucking book before you saw the movie? Oh, yes. I read the book when I was a child. (laughs) I read the book first. Nobody, the movie came out in like, what, 1930 something? Mm -hmm. I mean, it had been around at least as long as the book, but you're like, you know what? I am such a nerd. I'm going to read the book first. I was given the book. Then I'll track down this, you know, alleged movie, which I've heard very little about. No, no, no. I was given the book. And remember, this was in the day before, this was in the days before VHS. Right. So you couldn't just run out. So I couldn't just go, I'd have to wait for it to be on TV. It was on TBS like 11 times a year. No, this is before cable. Oh, This is on regular television. What age are you reading this book? I read it when I was eight. My God. Well, you are like a super nerd, though. So, for instance, there's this scene where they're in, they go to a bazaar. Yeah. They go to the bazaar. This is the famous one where he pays to dance with her, right? And she's a widow and she's in her widow's weeds and all the rest. Okay, so, so I'm reading this and it talked about them being in a booth. Well, I pictured in my mind. Like, like they're a, at Fridays? Like they're at Fridays. <laughs> like, we'll have the potato skins uh, loaded. Thank you. <laughs> I, mean, I was eight years old, right? Yeah. So I didn't have the understanding. What kind of booth was it? It was a booth, like a, a booth, like a stand that you would have at, at a trade show or oh, whatever. Yeah, yeah. That kind of a booth. Right, like Lucy's uh, psychiatry uh, yeah. for five that cents. That kind of booth, okay. right? And that's what it. that's actually what it was. That's what... Margaret right. Mitchell meant, right. but then when I saw it in the movie, I was I like was in I your was, head. It's a fern bar. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm like, that's not what I that's pictured at booth? all. I pictured her sitting in a yeah. booth and and kind of pouting. Yeah, that she you know she was in her widow's weeds and everybody was having fun, not her, and she would have been the belle of the ball except right. for oh my except gosh, for the fact I, that she married some guy who got killed. Oh, right. Uh, well, he died of, of um, pneumonia, I think. Yeah, but well, killed by pneumonia. <laughs> but then when I saw it, it was totally different. So. Yeah. 
Ashley? Was that who got killed? No, that was Charles, her first oh, husband, right. Charles Hamilton. And then <laughs> Rhett Butler offered to pay to dance with her. Yeah. And, which is and she jumped kind of up and she thing. said, oh, yes, I will. I find it usually when I read, like, you know, I've read a couple of fantasy novels in my day. Thousands. Yeah. <laughs> And when you see those adapted, especially when it was like 80s and 90s, because special effects weren't quite up to snuff yet. But I would say like when I was watching Game of Thrones, I had read the books. I'm Uh one of those people. And when they started showing the show, I'm like, okay, well, that's not how I pictured that character and that character. But you know what? The show was good enough that it sucked me in regardless and now, when I think about the book... That's who you see. Yeah, Sean Bean is Ned Stark. 100%. Right? You know, just, I just can't avoid it at this point. And that's the power, really, of the visual medium. Right. Right, is that it can really just overwrite what you were thinking about in the books. I am 100% in that place with the Vampire Chronicles. I cannot not see Lestat as Sam, Sam Reed. Reed right. And I cannot not see Louis as Jacob Anderson, yeah. which is a big departure from what's in the book. Of course. Because yeah. in the book, of course, Louis is a white plantation owner. Yep. And in the TV series... He's, it, he's he's a white. he's a man of color who is not from the 18th century. He's from the early 20th century. Right. I can't I can't not see him that way. Yeah. I can't see Ar- Armand. I I'm reading the description of Armand right. saying that he is this red haired you know 16 17 year like, old. No, he's not. Boy, he's a very handsome Pakistani man. <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> Who's With, in his mid 20s? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I think he's in his 30s. Is I think he? He might is be. I uh, is Assad Zaman. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, so I can't not see those guys anymore. That's how strong the the television series adaptation of Interview with the Vampire has been for me. You know, often books are written decades before the film adaptation. And a lot of times they kind of clean up the book a little bit to try to, you know, match modern sensibilities a little bit more. Yeah. And that's always interesting too. Okay, so the other thing that I wanted to talk about, when I read... I get very deeply into the character, particularly certain certain kinds of stories. And I imagine myself in the protagonist's place. Yes, you may rip my bodice if you would like. I well <laughs> You're about to say I don't read those, but no, girl, I, we know you n- do. Not anymore I don't, but you're yeah. not wrong. I have to say that when I was reading those historical sort of Regency romance yeah, yeah, novels, yeah. I was definitely one hundred percent like, oh I, I like as I'm reading this, I can feel my corset pinching me. I know. <laughs> well, uh, I'm cinched up. Pride and Prejudice is one of those where I yeah. could very much picture myself as Elizabeth Bennett. I empathized a lot with that character. Right. And so, and who knows why, because I am definitely not that. But yeah. uh, so it takes away your ability to seat yourself in it because it goes from being sort of a first person experience that you're reading, but to a very definite, even though the book might be in third person, yeah, you're still, I think that most people still read it as, you know, enmesh in, in, in themselves into the story. And that goes to the imagination thing, right? Like that's why Absolutely. those visuals are so strong to you. But then when you're watching it on screen, there's that distance. Like you can still empathize with the character. I can still watch Pride and Prejudice and think, oh, you know. Let's talk about what we think are great adaptations. We we were going to do, and I think we should do this. I think we should pick it up. We did a couple this year, most notably the Natural, episode 24. 100%. Where the the movie is better than the book. Kicks the book's ass. Yeah. Right? 
and the book was not bad. No, the book was good. It was interesting, but the movie was epic. It was epic. Well, you can go and listen to it. It's episode 24. If you want to hear us dissect a book in this way, go and listen to episode 24. Yeah. There's just a lot about eating, a lot of hot dogs being eaten. and There's so much consumption. And and Roy Hobbs was such a dick in the book. He was a dick. No one wants Roy Hobbs to be a dick. You don't want Roy Hobbs to be perfect because he's a flawed hero, but you also don't want him to be a dick. No. Right? Uh, Another one? Godfather. Oh, The Godfather was an outstanding movie. One of the, I mean, Three. consistently well, rated as one half. of the yeah. <laughs> movies. Are- yeah, well, consistently rated in the top four or five movies of all time. Yeah. Decent book. It's an okay book, but just yeah. the way they brought it to life. And I don't know if you've seen The Offer. No, but I, I need oh, to watch that. Oh, you need to watch that. In fact, That's we may excellent. do a thing on that. That's so. an excellent. Matthew Good is in this. Oh, Miles yeah. Teller. Yeah. He's a vampire. Matthew, Matthew. Good is a, a vampire in, in certain in a in a discovery in of life. witches in real life, which is again an, is an adaptation of a book of a book series. A book series. Yeah. So another good one I would say is the Last of the Mohicans. Yeah, because the book James is almost Fenimore Cooper is impossible is to impenetrable. read. Impenetrable. There's so many ways, and that's actually one of the books that I've now read that book. So you need to read it so that yeah, we can do be- well, book better than movie. Guess what? If you are an heir of James Fenimore Cooper, get your cease and desist ready letter ready because we're, I'm going to drag that motherfucker. Well, no, the book is just it's, it's it is of a read. it is definitely of a different age. But yeah. I mean, I've read other things that are of a different age that are better than that. It's just a it's a dumb story the way he tells it. Yeah. It's inconsistent in terms of prose. You know, at one point he's got, and the dialogue, he's got Hawkeye speaking as if he's just, you know, very erudite. And then the next thing you know, he's talking like he's a backwoodsman. It's like right. you can't figure out his character. It's terrible. The film version with Daniel Day-Lewis. Amazing. Epic. Yeah. Epic. The scenery. The, Did the, he win an Academy Award for that? I don't know if it, I don't I assume know. they just give him one every four or five years yeah, just because well, he's Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah, but it's that like, was a... Motherfucker learned how to write with his foot, okay? <laughs> to, to, to draw, wasn't yeah. he, when he yeah, was, was playing was, my left was, foot? Yeah, yeah. He was like, like chalk in his toes and he was God. drawing. Um, so I think that that one is another film where it just blows the book out of um, the water. What Blade, else? Blade Runner. Now you probably didn't read. I didn't do read androids that. dream of electric sheep, mm-hmm. which by the way is a very good science fiction story. Mm-hmm. But the movie is just so much richer and more interesting and better. Yeah, Harrison Ford. I know is in. I know who's in it. Rutger Hauer is menacing in that movie. He's mm-hmm. so good. All right, some Stephen King. Stephen King for a long time was shorthand for movies that became or books that became shitty movies. Yes. They would just always fuck his movies up. And he was a he's a great writer. Yeah. He is honestly, in my opinion, as much as he's a genre novelist, he is probably the greatest living American author. How do you like that? Wow. But he would write these books with the exception of Carrie, which was kind of the first one out of the gate where they did a, I mean, Sissy Spacek was amazing in that movie, but like Cujo and- Christine. Christine were all horrible. They did better with The Shining. Well, that one also is panned. Yeah, the usually. only reason The Shining was good was because Jack Nicholson Jack was Nicholson so amazing. Jack Nicholson was good. Well, but that whole production was crazy and they tortured oh Shelley t- Long. Yeah, apparently Or not they, Shelley Long. What's her Shelley name? Shelley Duvall. Shelley Duvall. They, apparently they tortured Shelley Duvall so she would be in a 
constant state of stress and everything. I'm like, that seems a little extreme. It's like maybe just ask her to act. Extremely yeah. ridiculous. Let's talk about some good ab- adaptations, Stephen King, because I yeah. can think of two right Absolutely. off the bat that were fantastic. It. Shawshank Redemption. One of the great, I would say in the top 20 movies of all time. I would say so. And Stand By Me. Of course, The Body. Those are two short stories. Yeah, they were short stories Mm -hmm. that, and I think if it's a great short story, that's one of the best things to adapt into a film. Oh, 100%. I can tell you a couple more. A River Runs Through It. Lay it on me. Amazing short story. Right. They did a great job with that film. And also Brokeback Mountain. Short, Short story that was outstanding that they made into a beautiful film. Short stories can be made into films, but novels, I think when when you try and, and do some, do novels into films. It's trickier. It's and trickier. Now, there is a solution because now the formula is trilogies, mm-hmm. right? Or, right? Or more. Right. So for great example, Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Peter Jackson's adaptation of the Lord of the Rings, where he took three novels mm-hmm. and turned it into four movies. Mm-hmm is I think got to be regarded as one of the great adaptations of all time. Mm-hmm. The The final two movies were um, just surpassingly great. And he was the, f- and there, there have been other takes on Tolkien before that were shit. <laughs> okay. Sorry, Ralph Bakshi. <laughs> that was awful. Um, there was uh, there was one uh, Ralph Bakshi did one, and there, I think there was another one um, of The Hobbit, and they were just childish takes on these on these really you know fairly dense and complicated books. So Peter Jackson obviously crushed it. Now somehow when it came to The Hobbit, he forgot how to make movies. Well, we'll get there. So another one that I think that. They did a great job with, well, There's we, we've been talking about an interview with the vampire. I think that both you and I would say that so far what we've seen in the first season of Interview with the Vampire on AMC has been outstanding. Absolutely. And, and we spend a lot of time talking about that on our other podcast. Our other podcast with co-host Joanne Palumbo, shameless plug. She's all right. (laughs) It's called Vampire Insider, but we've talked in depth about it. And I I think we all think that they've done so far a good job. Is it perfect? No, there are some problems. There have been some choices that were made that I think that Joanne and I definitely found problematic. You less so. And certainly some fan feedback has been harsh, but... some a lot of that has to do with homophobia and racism, right. unfortunately. Right. And then some of it is fair critique where people of color are saying, hey, look, this isn't ideal what you're doing. We, we don't hate the series, but some of this needs to be fleshed out a little bit more or answered for in season two. So I think that we think that's a good one. But Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones to a point. Um, the, until really until the last episode. I, I mean, just, they, it did was, it, they rushed the last season. They did such a great job of creating this world mm-hmm. and telling this story. Now, they were a little bit handicapped by the fact that the author stopped writing books. Right. Right. And they had to then take what he had written and project it to a finale because mm-hmm. if you waited for George R. R. Martin to finish writing these books, we would be, 
you know, in our 80s, I think, <laughs> right. when we finally saw the last season of Game of Thrones. But yeah, I mean, and it's not even the last whole season, like the last half of the last season was just, like you said, rushed, disappointing, unfulfilling, etc. But taken as a whole, that series is one of the greatest TV series of all time. Absolutely. And the characters, like you said... I know that Tyrion looks different. I know that Danny look Daenerys looks different. I yeah. you know I know not anymore. They don't. That's who they look like now to me. Yeah, I can't read about Tyrion without seeing right. Peter Dinklage. And I try to remember what I thought they looked like. Can't when remember. I, was reading them. I can't. No, I'm just like, oh yeah, it's Peter Dinklage. He drinks and he knows things. He does. Um, for all of those good adaptations that we just spoke about, what made them good though? Let's do Game of Thrones. What made them good was the thing that makes any show good. Great actors, well-written scripts, compelling storyline, which you got to give the book credit for the storyline, right? Right. But, and in creating the setting. Well, and also the right? War of the Roses. Yes. Well, that was nice of them to provide that for us. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, history. Thank you, history. For, for giving us I don't know why you hate history, but see, that's that's history. Well, yeah, but you know what? It's so, much more palatable when you're watching Game of Thrones than if you're watching some documentary on the War of the Roses. Um. See, well. Yeah, uh, I'm right. No, but same with even um, Tolkien. Oh, absolutely. So, like I said, there have been horrible adaptations of Tolkien. And that's why his family was so, you know, gun shy about allowing them in general mm -hmm. because they were just garbage. Right. And um, but, you know, it's possible to do it good, do it in a good way. They just didn't. Right. Mm -hmm. And well, do you think it's because again, I think it's because Peter Jackson took his time. I think he chose. I mean, he didn't, he didn't, it's not a direct translation. No, word and for I think, word and, if, and, and I scene think for scene. if that's where you're starting from, you're going to fail. Right. And we'll talk about that a little bit. Yeah. But you're right. But you also, it helps in general, not, ex, not always, but in general, if you have a reverence mm -hmm. and a deep understanding of the source material, mm -hmm. especially if it's good source material, right? If it's just kind of a schlocky book and you're just going to use that as, and jumping off point, okay, good. Don't be too reverent to the, you know, don't have reverence for the material because of the source material because it wasn't good. Mm -hmm. But. Well, if it's not good, what are you doing making a movie? Because maybe it just inspires you, right? Oh, okay. Like a lot of times, and especially in the past, they would buy the rights to a book and then just use the bare bones of it and write their own shit. But I think what made it great was. All the things we talked about, plus they decided that it was okay to give great production values to a TV series. Yes. And that was one of the first series that really went all in on that. And I mean, you can say a little bit that the mini series of the 70s and 80s Well, I'll did tell that. you where which one really did it. Yeah. Rome. Rome spent HBO a ton pioneered of money. That. Ton yeah. of money. And, and I mean, that's that, it was a, a BBC HBO co-production, yeah. and they 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 killed know, it. They, I mean, that they, was amazing, was amazing program. But they could it, they couldn't sustain it because it wasn't right. making it wouldn't have made the money in the end. Yeah. But they had all of the great actors and interesting 
all of those actors, pretty much all of yeah. them showed up in. They're like, we need those Game actors. You know which ones we mean. Okay. <laughs> Bring yeah. them over. Bring them over. Come on. <laughs> the guys who can do accent. Yeah. Those are the ones. Brits of a certain age. Exactly. Everybody is coming out you have of some the. some gravitas. Oh, excellent. <laughs> are you British and did you go to acting school? Exactly. Have you ever done Shakespeare? Oh, you've heard of Shakespeare? Good enough for us. Come on in. <laughs> um, Sean Bean, I noticed you've died in early on in every movie you've ever been in. We've got a role for you. <laughs> <laughs> we need you to be Ned Stark. Oh, um, great. How many episodes? Uh, two episodes. One episode. Oh, okay. Thank you. It wasn't one episode. About it was more than one two. episode. Okay. So now we're going to talk about terrible adaptations. There are some of those. So I'm going to say something that's controversial because oh. I think that a lot of people like this film. But for right. me, I think it's a bad adaptation. Lay it on me. Both versions of Gatsby. Uh, I mean, I thought DiCaprio's performance in his version of it was decent. He's a good Jay. He is, but the the story doesn't translate as well on screen. It's to, well, what happens with Baz Luhrmann's version for me yeah. is it's just too extra. Too much sunscreen? No, it's too extra. Like, there's yeah. so much. It's, yeah. so, it's so stylized that it... Because Gatsby is a subtle story. It is. So I think that it loses some of its subtlety. And then the problem with the original Gatsby here again, Jay, I love Robert Redford yep. in it. Loved him. But Daisy is just an impossible character to translate Apparently, well. Apparently, yeah. And I don't like any, no, it's a thankless role. Well, it you're would, no, it, it you're would, no Daisy. <laughs> it's, a, it's just a thankless role. Yeah. And it, it, you can dislike her probably less reading about her she's yeah. less offensive yeah but when you see it acted out no matter how they do it daisy's just an obnoxious awful 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 person yeah and I, it, it's hard for me to to stomach so i think for me daisy is is actually the problem yeah uh the portrayal of daisy neither of the women who play daisy yeah. can can they're great actresses it's just an impossible they just role couldn't to, to do it yeah to make even slightly likable um, here's one that you might not be that familiar with, but was very impactful for me is I liked, I really liked the series, His Dark Materials. Oh, yes. By Philip Pullman. Yes. It's a great series. And it's honestly, it's a YA. It's a young adult book. Yeah. But you could read it as at any age. And it's a very sophisticated, philosophical, theological take on morality and existence, uh, the power of religion, mostly negatively. They just can't get it on the screen. And there's Even a lot the of TV series. And you there, think no, the TV series just didn't, just didn't do no. a good enough job. And either. there's a lot of things in there that you would think would lend itself to the visual medium. Mm -hmm. For example, in this one particular world, everyone has two beings. It's yourself and your demon. And your demon is really kind of your Jiminy cricket, your conscience or whatever, mm -hmm. but it takes the form of an animal. And when you're a child, that animal can change and it, Gradually, as you become an adult, as your personality becomes more fixed, so so does your demon, right? And it eventually just becomes one form. And you could do some amazing stuff with that on screen. Couldn't translate. I don't know if there's just too much going on or there's too much, you know, internal dialogue or philosophy or mm -hmm. whatever. They just can't do it. And I was so disappointed because, I mean, in the movie, Nicole Kidman was in it. She's a very, very good actress. Mm -hmm. I think she's an excellent actress. Couldn't pull it off. Daniel Craig was in it. Daniel Craig was in it. Not good. 
No. Not not as that character. I mean, I'm sure he did the best that he could with that script. Mm-hmm. Um, another one where I loved, loved the books mm-hmm. and the the movie was shit. Mm-hmm. We'll see how the TV show comes out is Stephen King's The Dark Tower. Because it's such a sweeping epic. They just couldn't make and it wasn't Idris Ilba's fault, right? I think he's a very very good actor. Mm-hmm. They just couldn't do that thing where you take a long, complicated story and you distill it down. And it's very disappointing for people who love the book and want to see it reflected on screen. And maybe maybe I broke my own rule, mm-hmm. right? Maybe I said, no, I want to see the book on the screen. Mm-hmm. I'd never even heard of it. So the Dark Tower series is a seven book series that Stephen King wrote not that long ago, maybe a decade and a half ago, something like that, mm-hmm. where basically... And it's a bit of a conceit, but I think it works. He basically kind of ties all of his books that he's ever written into one cosmology. Oh. And he grabs characters from here and there. And it's this story is really about the meaning of life. Oh, wow. And it just all points to this one kind of pinnacle of philosophical revelation, you know, and he includes himself in the book, which is an interesting hmm. kind of technique. I mean, it was it's just a, overall a brilliant series, and they. I just think it's impossible. It might just be impossible to translate that yeah. to screen. I don't know. Hmm. Okay, so what do you think is a book that should never have been made into a film because it was such a terrible book? Actually, that's very easy. <laughs> Twilight. <laughs> you had to know that's where I'm going. I knew that that's where you were It was go. a shit book. It's a shit series Did of books. Did you read? A Twilight? I read half of book one before I went like, this is direct. Wow. What prompted you to even try to read it? Uh, because, you know, whatever. I'm an open-minded guy. And I like fantasy, you know, novels or whatever. It And it was very popular. It was fucking hot garbage. <laughs> it was, it's amateurish. It's sophomoric. <laughs> it's saccharin. <laughs> they have sp- Sparkly vampires, and know, you know how I feel about that. Don't. And they're daywalkers. All right, yeah. here's my take on Twilight. I I agree with you that the book is poorly written. I like the first movie. I can't help it. I know that that's a mark of shame in your book, but really I is. liked the first movie. I'm but reevaluating everything right I now. <laughs> <laughs> but I like the first movie. All right, here's the one that I think. Terrible book, terrible movie. Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> well, of course. That's just more of the same, except even worse, right? So Stephanie Meyer's books are garbage. Right? Let's just all agree that they're garbage. I mean, I think that we're going to have a lot of listeners who disagree oh, with I you. Oh, I know we will. And, you know, come at me, bro. <laughs> but let's just say it's not the greatest series of novels of all time. Is that fair? Correct. No, and then you definitely. take fan fiction based on as I've described it, not the greatest novels of all time (laughs) and have some like kind of vanilla BDSM shit in it. And it should never have been published as a book, much less made into, is it now two movies? No, I think three. What the fuck is wrong with these people? Because women loved it. Women, women, mommy porn. It was mommy porn and they loved it. It's women's women like to read erotica and to them it was erotic for a while i had the position that women are ruining literature mark (laughs) because they like this gar now of course i like some garbage too right i like a different kind of garbage i like you know lasers and stuff like that yeah but when they popularize shit novels like that 
It really well, I'm just, sorry it offends your sensibilities. It, does. it really just My God, ruins I mean, you're literature. just laying this at the foot of women yes. as a collective. <laughs> yes. It's so misogynistic. A I little hate bit. it. And I feel like I'm going to keep it in here just to expose Whatever. That's how fine. awful you are. I mean, look, women, you have to own up to this. That look, men ruin lots of stuff. Trust me. <laughs> we ruin most stuff. But when it came to literature starting in the mid-90s, it's mostly women's fault. <laughs> and you know who the chief woman in the chief wo- Oprah. In Oprah yes. was she to blame. <laughs> is she picks garbage fucking novels. You know who picks good novels? Reese Witherspoon. Reese Witherspoon it. picks good novels. Well, she went to Harvard. Uh, no, I don't think she went to Harvard. No, I know. I'm joking. That's the movie she was in. Oh, <laughs> Legally Blonde. I, yes. I was going to say, no, that's Natalie Portman that yes. went to Harvard. Natalie Portman's badass. <laughs> Just look up her rap videos. Yeah, but um, no. So I, I reject wholesale that it is fault of women. I do agree that it is the fault of Oprah. Oh, yeah. Oprah. <laughs> Oprah first of all, Oprah. shitty books. Oprah might be one of the greatest enemies of humanity. Well, she's the one that fucking found Dr. Oz. Exactly. Dr. Oz, Dr. Phil, both human pieces of garbage. Uh, She elevated Gwyneth Paltrow's goop bullshit. Did she? Oh, yeah. Oh, she was behind that. They're all in. She's all in on those like aromatherapy crap. Oh, God. and, And her novels, for a while, that was the guaranteed way to get on the New York Times list was for Oprah to recommend it in the Oprah's book, book club because book, these mindless book, book, book robots would just read any piece of shit she put yep. forward. And she put a lot of pieces of shit forward. <laughs> Loved her in The Color Purple. She was awesome in that. After that, she and I parted ways. Okay, well, I'm sure she's heartbroken to hear it. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure she'll cry, you know, rubber, uh, excuse me, clean away, wash away her tears with her billions of dollars. Her billions of dollars. All right. So, although if Oprah wanted to give our podcast a little shout I mean, shout then out. I might, you know, be willing to be a little more flexible <laughs> in my take. I have no shame. <laughs> so, here is, I gave you my hot take. Yes. Now I'm going to give you my slow cook take. <laughs> The slow burn. Exactly. This is going to be my crockpot take oh, God. On, on books versus movies and shows. Hey. The correct, and by correct I mean the way I do it, way of judging the movies and TV shows based that are based on books is to judge them as a standalone piece of art. So essentially everything we've just talked about for the last 50 minutes is useless. Uh, correct. <laughs> No, I think it's still an interesting discussion, right? Because it gives you a compare and contrast. And Listen, bitch, this was your idea. I'm so well aware. Better. That's why I recommended it. Okay. So, but I do think, and I think it's an interesting discussion because it, it, like in English class, you would always say, okay, let's discuss this poem as compared to this poem, right? That's really where the kind of the, it's, it's more, most interesting is when you're contrasting two pieces of work or comparing, you know, comparing and contrasting as they say. Uh-huh. But in my opinion, you judge them on their own. Uh-huh. Now you should certainly, you know, it, it helps if you read the book and then you can make that comparison. It enriches your experience. But ultimately the TV show or the movie is either good or it isn't. Uh-huh. And that's really what we should be judging it on. And if it departs from the book, I know that a lot of people who are devoted fans of the book will be, you know, that makes them angry, right? And then they, they, you know, post a 
tweet or a video in there with expressing their outrage that the show doesn't look exactly like they imagined the book would. I don't think that that's really a valid way of evaluating it. First and foremost, you should evaluate it as its own standalone piece of art. For example, when I watched The Natural, I hadn't read the book at all. If I had read the book, who knows how that would have influenced me, but hopefully I would have said, you know what? I know how the book ends. I like this movie. They did a good job. Robert Redford was convincing. Whatever it was, like Glenn Close glowed in the daylight very well. I think that that's really the best way to evaluate them. If they're just inspired by the book, that should be okay. You know, that if, as long as the movie or TV show is good, I'm fine with the departures. Um, or yeah. do you demand a certain amount of adherence to the original work in order to get your stamp of approval? So think about a, go- a book you like. Yeah, well, right? I mean, I think about a book I like all the time. I because uh, of what we do with interview, I yeah. would say that uh, I think that your philosophy is a good one. I think it's very difficult to adhere to that, especially if you are somebody who is extraordinarily invested in the book. Now, right. I when I read, I get very invested yeah. in the characters. And that's why, for instance, the film adaptation of Interview really, was, was really jarring. disappointing yeah. to me because it, I just couldn't couldn't fathom Tom Cruise as Lestat, and I still and I still <laughs> poor can't. Tom Cruise. Poor Tom Cruise. He tried. He did. He tried. I got to give I mean, him the he credit. He stretched as much as he He'd can stretched stretch. as his little much as that little tiny body <laughs> could stretch. It just wasn't stretchy enough. Right. Did you think, did you, when you were watching it, did you still feel at some point, at any point, you could look at the camera and say, sometimes you just have to say, what the fuck? <laughs> no, it would probably, see, like, I liked him in that role. Yeah. It, this was just such a, it was too much for him to, yeah. to do. And that's something, I guess, if directors and producers decide they're going to adapt a film, yeah. and then they say, our overarching goal is to make this make money. Yeah. And I think that that's probably what happened with Interview with the Vampire, the film. Sure. I mean, that's kind of their job. And that is their yeah. job. Yeah. But I think at some place, some point you have to say, they it would behoove them to say, I want this to be accurate and I want this to make money. I don't yeah. know that it has to be an either or. But in that case, it was purely stunt casting to... Yeah. Really hot properties, Tom sure. Cruise and Brad Pitt. Yeah, he was pretty famous. And I think that, to me, when it becomes about something like that, you can tell in the finished product Yeah, when it is all just about the money. When it is a project where they're passionate about it, but they've made changes. You're okay with that. I'm okay with that. Because yeah. if you can still see the passion for the original source material... I'm good with it. So here, here's what it's like for me to watch The Lord of the Rings. Because there are a fairly small percentage of humans on this planet who are more invested in The Lord of the Rings books than me. <laughs> right? I mean, I've read them multiple, multiple times. I've read The Silmarillion several times, which is a gigantic, huge book. Yeah, which has now been adapted for television. Correct. And I have things to say about that, I guess. But in general, I mean, I am all in on the lore. You know, if you mm-hmm. say... Um, you know, who is uh, the gardener outside of Frodo's house in the beginning of the book, I'm going to tell you. It's it's the gaffer, Gamgee, right? It's Sam's, Sam's dad. But so I know dumb shit like that. And if anyone was going to be super critical of the movies that Peter Jackson made, it was going to be me. Mm-hmm. 
But I don't know whether it's just I'm able to compartmentalize better than you a little bit, which may just mean I'm just not that empathetic. <laughs> I don't know. But I can I could take that and go, look, every time I see a difference, it registers, right? It's not, I'm like, mm, that's not what really happened in the book. Mm -hmm. But if it was good in the show, it good in the movie, I was good with it. Yeah, I mean, I think that, the, it, and then that's a little bit up to the actors too. Oh, like absolutely, how, you have how to be well, great. How do you, how, how yeah. well are they, how, how good are they in their roles? And I think yeah. that, that that's also critical to it. But for me, it is, I'm, it's, your, your philosophy is 100% spot on. Yeah. I just can't adhere to it as easily as you can. There was stoicism, a, same thing, right? Stoicism, great philosophy, hard to do. Yeah. So maybe be a little bit more stoic. Hard to be know. involved with someone who's very well, stoic. Well, I can only imagine. Yeah. Hopefully they're brilliant and charming and <laughs> have sweet dance moves. No, but I think that you're, I do think that you're right. You know, what, I just try to take critical. a longer view of it yeah. and I'm a little bit, you know, step back just a little bit and say, okay, look, we know that's a difference. You love that in the book, but can you still be okay with the show? Is mm -hmm. the show itself good? To me, that's the key. Um, not everybody's going to feel that way. And, you know, I'm used to people being wrong all around me. So you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just something that, you know, I've come to uh, endure from humanity. Do you have anything else you want to say in conclusion? I mean, well, I mean, that was my conclusion. Oh, that's your conclusion. Yeah. My conclusion is judge it as a work on its own. Okay. Well, fair enough. All right, Mark, let's talk about our social media. We have a Twitter at Extemporaneous2. We have individual Twitters at Christina Gen X. Mark is at Mark Eats Peach. We have a Facebook group. Uh, we have a Patreon. We do. For $5 a month, you can support us and not even listen to the Patreons that we put out there. Or if I mean, you, you would, should. They're pretty they're, fun. You should. They're fun. If you are inclined to go without one latte a month, you can support us on Patreon and our address is uh, www.patreon.com forward slash genix temporaneous. All right. Well, I'm going to say bye and Mark's going to say peace out, Cub Scout. Wow. And now you have to be in a Thompson or something. Well, yeah. Or, well, in yeah. Pride and Prejudice, it was I Jennifer Ellen. I assume Emma Thompson. Or Ely, I think it's how you pronounce it. I don't know. I just assume Emma Thompson is in every single one of <laughs> She was in, um, She's in Sense all and Sensibility. Yeah. She she actually adapted the book to screen. You act like those are two different books. It's, Mark! It, I think it's just a part one and part two. I hate talking about <laughs> Jane Austen to you. Yes, I know you do. Um, but that's okay because I hate talking about Jane Austen. So <laughs> it works out. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Terrible. All right, so...